and to be fervent is to show great intensity and enthusiasm. The word um, also means energeo, where we get our word energy. And so this word fervent means boiling over in heat and intensity. And when the word is combined with prayer, it means to go out with energy, power, and effectiveness. And that same word, when used in the context of love and charity, it means to stretch out in effectiveness. Amen. So to be faithful and fervent, <coughs> it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Our theme this year is the secure woman woman. When I think of the secure woman, I picture this woman who's standing firm and steadfast. A picture of a woman who is not tossed to and fro by the waves of emotion. She is certain and assured not in herself, but on the truth that Christ is the rock, that Christ is her steadfastness, and that Christ is her security. The secure woman uses the truth of God's word as a compass that points her true north. The word is a lamp to her feet and a map to her life. She's yes. tempered by the yes. truth of what God says about her, and she is not moved or dismayed by the words and, and affirmations of man. Mm -hmm. She believes what God says about her. She walks in that certainty, and she's drawn her line in the sand, and she says, I'm not going back. Amen. Her trust and her confidence is in the Lord. Yes. The title of my message this morning is Draw Your Line in the Sand and Press On. Come on. Can I be transparent with you? Yes. Yes. When I describe that faithful and fervent woman, I feel inadequate. Mm, come on. I feel less than qualified. As I prayed and sought the Lord for direction in this message, I put past that feeling of insecurity to His Word. And God reminded me, it's not about arrival, and it's not about a destination, but instead, it's a long life pressing forward. It's not about perfection, because Christ was perfect. He is our perfection, and when Christ died and He resurrected from the dead, He gives those who believe in Him His righteousness, His perfection, and when the Father sees us, he sees the finished work of Christ. But still the Holy Spirit got some work to do in us in this walk. So it's not about arrival. It's about pressing forward, pressing on, and pressing upward to the call of Christ. Today we're going to be reading out of the book of Philippians. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, that's where we're going to be parked all day. Or all morning. I don't know. Are you guys preaching <laughs> Philippians 3, 11 through 14, it reads this way. Not that I've already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, well, in this scenario, sisters. Yes. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, mm -hmm. I press on 
towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I love how the Message Bible reads. And it says this way. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out to me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I've got my eyes on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. And I'm off and running. And I'm not turning back. I'm going to be using a lot of P words this morning. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> pressing on. I was just thinking about that this morning. I was like, hmm, I see a theme here. <laughs> what does it mean to be fervent and faithful? It means to press on. Don't look back. Don't go back. Sisters, this morning, I want to remind you that this journey is going gonna, is gonna to push back on you, but you have to press on and Come keep on. running yes. forward. And don't turn back. Yes. Don't turn back. And for those of you this weekend who have not began the journey with Jesus, and you have not said yes to Jesus, and you have not surrendered your life to him, surrender is simply waving your white flag and saying, I can't do this by myself anymore. That's right. I need you, God. Perhaps you've ignored the nagging emptiness, and you've numbed it with other things. And this week in my prayer is that you will encounter the beauty of the risen Christ and that you will never be the same. I have followed Jesus for years, 20 years exactly, <laughs> faithfully and unfaithfully. Faith-filled and not so filled with faith. <laughs> I stumbled through this journey and I pushed through my insecurities and struggles to follow Jesus. Amen. And I have found this one thing to be certain, that God is faithful and fervent even when we're not. Yes. And He's faithful for those who are in Christ to complete the work that He's began in you. Amen. He is faithful to complete the work. But there's one thing by the grace of God that I have done. And there's one thing by the grace of God that I did do. Hmm. And that all of us must one time or another in our lives do the same. Yeah. This is the one thing. We need to make up our mind that we're never going back. That's yeah. good. I put my line in the sand 20 years ago and I stumbled forward, but I got up over and over again. Amen. Yeah, it's good. When do you get away from from, from the Lord. You can't. Yeah. Wherever you go, He's there. Yeah. Yes. So you might as well follow Him. <laughs> right. Amen. Come on. I've stumbled and I've limped and I've reluctantly crossed my hands and said, God, why do you let her get away with that and not me? Mm. God, why, why is she doing that? Why is she going there? Uh-huh. <coughs> and I'm sweetly reminded, mm. you belong to me. That's right. You're not your own anymore, Lisa. Yes. You put your line in the sand. That's right. Drawing in the, a line in the sand means I set my boundary. Mm. From this line forward, I belong to you, and I'm never going back. Mm -hmm. I put a line this morning right here, a blue line. 
so that you guys can see it as a picture of what it means to draw your line in the sand. But the truth is, the line that we need to draw is in our hearts. Wow. What's the point in our lives as believers or as people where we become determined to stand firm and hold fast? That, that thing in us that says, beyond this point, nothing else matters. Beyond this point, no matter what my friends are doing, no, no matter what my family is telling me, yeah. no matter what my workplace is saying, though they mock me, this is my one thing. I'm not going back. That's right. Yes. What does that in someone? Yeah. What causes someone to say, I've drawn my line in the sand? Yeah. For me, hmm. I found in my own life that in this journey of deeper intimacy and trust with Jesus, it was through the ripping off of the things I thought fulfilled me, hmm. of the people I thought were supposed to define me. Through the trials and storms of my life, it was those very things that caused me to solidify my faith that everything else is sinking sand. Yeah. Today I want to talk about a man who's drawn his line in the sand. But, but before we do that, I just want to give you my testimony. Time and time again, God has shown me just how much the things in this world don't satisfy. And I've seen through the risen Christ that he's more and more beautiful as I grip him and loosen the grip of the things that had my heart. Yes. I find him to be more and more and more beautiful. These 20 years, he's only pro proven to me that he's faithful. Listen, I'm not talking to you about a life that's not filled with trial, right, okay? Right. I haven't had a cakewalk. <laughs> yeah, come on. I've gone through things that I should have never experienced. Yes. And you know what? God is still faithful. Yes. And he's still good. Amen. Yes. The first thing God had to deal with me in my life was he dealt with the grip of my sin and my guilt. My past had me so bound that I didn't know which way was up or which way was down. When the Lord took a hold of my heart at 21 years old, I was pregnant with my second child, unwed, and my sixth pregnancy. You do the math. I was already an empty shell of a woman. I was pregnant over and over, and I thought that, you know, abortion was birth control. I was in a relationship that was both physically and emotionally um, abusive. And all my life, I try to fill my daddy voids. Mm. Because at two years old, my dad walked out of my life and he never came back. And so I walked around my life as a beggar. I had a cup and I would push it out to anyone who would try to fill it. Mm -hmm. Can you fill it? Can you make me feel like something? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I tried men and they left me empty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I tried relationship with friends, and it left me empty. Mm -hmm. I tried the party scene, and drugs, and alcohol, and it left me numb, yeah. but it left me empty. Preach it. Preach it. So when I ended up at this small church in Humble Park, <laughs> I sat there hearing about God, and I was callous mm. from the pain of life. Mm. 
Life had left me rejected. It had left me battered and bruised. And for the first time, I heard about love. Mm. Unspeakable, undeniable, beautiful love. Amen. I saw for the first time what love really looked like. And it looked like a man on a cross, bloody and bruised for me. It looked like a sacrifice that I didn't deserve. And it looked like mercy, pulling out his hand, saying, come. Yes. That's what love looked like to me. Amen. Love looked like Jesus and his sacrifice for me. You see, Jesus knew one, um, something about rejection too. His friends rejected him in his time of need. The people he came to, to die for, they rejected him. Mm. And so God knew what it was to be rejected and, and he understood my rejection. Mm. And I sat at that church, broken, bruised, and rejected by life, by my father, by circumstances, by years, 21 years old, and I was fucked up. Mm. And when I saw Christ, the crucified Christ, my sin and my brokenness was before me. I sat there in shame because Jesus knew every bed I had been in. Mm. He knew every party I went to and the things I did there. He knew the abortion tables I lied on. And I said, there's no way he can love me. There's no way he can accept me. How could you ever forgive someone like me? But I was 21 and I was encountering love and forgiveness, one that I didn't deserve, one that was stretched out to me. And I wanted to run and hide from the eyes that were staring into my soul. Mm -hmm. And Jesus pushed through my insecurities and my shame and he extended his hand of grace to me. And when I heard about the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, how he died for me and he took my punishment that I deserved and he put it on himself and then he rose from the dead and he conquered death once and for all. And those who would believe in him, in his name, he gives them power and grace and forgiveness. And I heard the gospel. That's the gospel. And it transformed my life. And so in June of 1996, I gave my cup to Jesus. Mm. <laughs> and he filled it up overflowed. <laughs> when I encountered Jesus, my life was utterly ruined for the good. I was on a journey and I wasn't going back. But we start off real excited, right? Oh. And a couple months in to my journey with the Lord, I had just had my baby. I was living with my husband at the time and that's a different story. God changed his heart. We got married. But some friends came from Puerto Rico, <laughs> and I had just had my baby, and I, I was telling them about Jesus, and then they brought out the liquor, and I was like, no, 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 I don't drink anymore. <laughs> I don't drink anymore. <laughs> and when that cup came to me, I was like, no, no, no. But the second time, I was like, well, what's it going to hurt? And I took a zip. And then they brought out the weed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, no, I really don't do that. But you know what? Jesus, I'm here trying to preach around my friend. And there goes the doobie going around. I'm like, no, 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 no. And then I ended up smoking. Mm. And by the time I was finished that night, 
I don't even remember how I got to my bed. Wow. But I remember what happened in the morning. Before I can brush my teeth, before I can get up, I literally rolled off my bed onto the floor of the cold basement of my house. And I cried out to the Lord. And I said, God, I'm sorry. Yeah. You rescued me from this. What am I doing? I'm sorry, God. I'm not going back again. And let me tell you, that day, I never went back to that. Amen. And God lifted me up and he said, keep running, daughter. Yes. You're mine. Yes. No matter where you fall, no matter how far you run, <laughs> you're mine. Yes. Amen. Imperfectly, I followed Jesus. Wholeheartedly, I followed Jesus. And I never turned back. But in all of this, God was chasing me. He was pursuing me. He is the great hound of heaven. He is the pursuer of hearts. And this weekend, he's come to chase some of you down. Amen. Amen. Get him. And like I said, there's nowhere you can run. <laughs> so stop running. Yes. A.W. Tozer says this, we pursue God because, and only because he has first put an urge in, within yes. us that spurs us on to the pursuit. Yes. I found God because he was first he was first looking for me, pursuing me. In fact, he pursued me all the way to the line of hell. And he said, come on, you don't want to go there. Yes. Amen. Turn with me to Philippians 3, 7 through 11. And let's take a peek at a man who put his line in the sand. Paul is the author of most of the books we find in the New Testament. But Paul started out his journey as the church's most zealous enemy. He tirelessly persecuted the early church. And those who were Christ's followers, he had them killed. Wow. In fact, he was there at the stoning of Stephen. Mm. Stephen started thinking. <laughs> but Paul had a moment where he encountered the risen Christ. He was on his way to Damascus. He had just got some papers that gave him more authority to kill some more Christians. And there he goes on his nice little high horse with his posse in the Damascus road. And he encounters a great light. Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus blinded Paul that day and knocked him off his high horse, literally. And Paul was blinded. And Jesus asked him a question, Saul, that was his name prior to being Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus. And there he encountered the risen Christ and his life was completely transformed. Well, Paul wrote Philippians 3, 7 through 11, and I'm going to read what he says. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count all things as loss because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus our Lord. And I count them as rubbish. For, no, for his sake I suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him to the point of death, and that by all means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Hmm. So here's my first P. I'm going to talk about the pursuit of Paul. Paul had one chief aim. He had one goal in life. In fact, he said, I count everything as lost so that I can get this one thing. That one thing was he wanted to know Christ. Paul's pursuit was, I want to know Christ and be found in him. Paul wanted to know Christ personally, P. You know, count my P's, please, no. Um, <laughs> he wanted to know him personally. He wanted to know him passionately. And he wanted to know him powerfully. That's good. Christ, oh, he wanted to know him personally. He wanted to know him passionately. And he wanted to know him powerfully. Paul said, I may know him in the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That word know means to know about him. But it's so much more than knowing about him. It's knowing him in deep relationship and intimacy. It's not only to know him by knowledge, but to experience him through relationship. Yes, we should know him and study his word. Yes, that's important. That's how we're going to get to know him. But apart from a relationship with him, that means nothing. Our knowledge of God should always bring us to deeper intimacy with the Savior. Listen, God didn't send you a rule book. He sent you a love book. And he wants you to know him in deeper relationship. So when the scriptures are apart from the very breath of God and the experience yes. and intimacy of the Father, they're rubbish. It's just head knowledge. Yep. You see, Paul was previously a Pharisee. A teacher of the law, he studied under the greatest teacher. He knew the law, he, he memorized it. He knew all of the Old Testament. He knew the, the Torah by the age of 12, like all good Jewish boys. <coughs> Until he encountered Christ, it was just head knowledge. Hmm. The distance from the head to the heart is 18 inches. Hmm. Hmm. The distance from the head to the heart is 18 inches, yet it's the greatest journey we will all ever take. When head knowledge and heart knowledge connect and merge, that's the fervent and faithful life. See, Jesus told the religious men of his day in John 5, he said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they're talking about me, and yes. you won't come to me. Come on. See, Jesus saying, apart from me, the scriptures are empty. Yeah. I am the word. Yes. Right. In living, breathing. Head knowledge is not asking you to abandon heart knowledge, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Nor is heart knowledge asking you to abandon head knowledge. The fervent and faithful life is when the two merge. Paul said, I want to know him. He not only wanted to know about him, he wanted to know him personally and intimately. A.W. Tozer says this in the book, Pursuit of God, one of my favorite books, so I quote it a lot. I read it every year, honestly. What other books in my Bible? Um, 
A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God, he says this, We are made in the image of God and we have the capacity to know Him. But because of sin, we lack the power to. Yeah. But when we come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and He helps us live this thing out. And the moment the Spirit quickens us to life, we are born again and then begins the glorious pursuit of knowing God. Amen. And our hearts explode as we get to know Him. A.W. Tozer also said to have found God and to still pursue Him is the soul's paradox of love. The word paradox means it seems contrary, but it's not. So to have found God and to still pursue Him seems contrary. But Paul was saying, that's my desire. I found Him and yet I still seek Him so that I know Him more and more. And I want to be found in Him. Paul wanted to know Him personally. He wanted to know Him passionately, and he wanted to know him powerfully. We see the word fervent. It's this bubbling over with intensity and heat. And Paul wanted to know Jesus with that type of passion. He wanted to know him passionately. May our desires and prayer be that this would be the desire of our hearts. That we would be the children of the burning heart. That we would not be satisfied with just a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of the world. Come on. Jesus plus something else. Mm -hmm. It's good. No, but that our sole pursuit and ambition in life would be to know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul wanted to know him powerfully. You see, Paul encountered a resurrected Christ. Yeah. The one that was raised from the dead. Yes. And so he's like, yo, that light, that power, that, that, that resurrection power, I want to know that power. I want to know that Jesus. Paul caught a glimpse of the power of the risen Christ, and Paul is saying, I want to know him in that power. The Christian race is not ran or accomplished through human persuasion or self-improvement. This is not a self-improving place. Amen. This is not about I feel positive and negative. No. This is resurrection power. Come on. It's not self-improvement. It requires the power of the risen Christ to walk this thing out oh. in victory. And to have a life of victory over sin, it requires resurrection power. We need a moment by moment. Yeah. Hour by hour. <laughs> Second, second, <laughs> yielding to God's Holy Spirit. Yeah. And Paul, the same one who said in Galatians, are you so foolish? After starting in the Spirit, are you now finishing in the flesh? Come on. That's the same Paul. Are you so foolish? You started this thing in my power. Now you're trying to do it by your own ambitions, your own improvements? It don't work that way. Yeah. Paul wanted to know Jesus personally, passionately, and powerfully, but Paul knew it came with a price. Mm. Mm. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count all things as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I suffer the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss. And this is Paul. He had just 
right before this verse, he had just given his resume. He had said everything he accomplished. Specifically, these were Paul's accomplishments before Christ. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, specifically the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was saying from his birth he was set apart, brought up in accordance to Levitical law, that's the Old Testament. His lineage was pure, and he was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he was an heir of God's covenant, a Hebrew of Hebrews. His mom was an Israelite. His father was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, purebred. My parents were Jews. I was raised Jewish. I know the culture. I've lived it. Concerning the law, I'm a Pharisee. The word Pharisee means separated one. They were separated from all common life and common tasks in order that they would keep every small detail of the law, like they need to be set apart. They, they have to be walking on like a glory cloud because it was impossible to not break the law. But Paul was saying, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I, I, I knew the law. I walked it. I was blameless. You have to understand something. This guy, Paul, he was raised to accomplish this very thing. This was the pinnacle of his life. Everything he had attained for. Think about it. It's like going to Yar um, Harvard, Yale, getting your master's, your bachelor's, your doctorate, and then saying, I count all that as loss that I make in Christ. Mm. And of all his accomplishments in life, when Paul compared it to Jesus, he says, I count it as nothing. Indeed, he says, I count all these things, everything I've ever attained, all of it, I count it loss. It wasn't so much that those things were worthless in themselves, because Paul was zealous. He thought he was doing the right thing. He, he thought he was pleasing God. He didn't understand he was persecuting him. He thought he was on the right path. And he's saying it's not that these things are worthless in themselves, but compared to the greatness of the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's nothing. Yeah. He was a good rule follower. He knew the Christian, you know, we come to the, to the Lord and we know the lingo, Christianese, we raise our hands just at the right time of worship, we pray with passion, because I'm powerful. Next time my sister prays, I'm going to pray like that, right? Memorize the scriptures. We have them on our, our mirrors in our workplaces, and, and we know we got this good. It's great. <laughs> Who cares if you don't have Jesus? That's right. If everything you gain doesn't get you Jesus, it's loss. That's right. He says, I count all of this loss. It's about knowing him, not about knowing his people, not knowing about the people. That comes, yes, and it's beautiful. But if you don't know Jesus, it's nothing. Yeah. It's rubbish. Yeah. Yes. There are some of you, you're good law keepers. You got this down pat. You got it checked off. I'm a faithful wife. I homeschool my children. I was raised as a Christian. But if you don't have Jesus, what, what's the point? 
It's not about conformity and religion and keeping laws. It's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. Amen. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ, I count everything as loss. Paul used the word count and counted in that verse. He says, when I came to the Lord, I counted it loss. But now, 20 years had passed. Here's Paul. He's writing from a Roman prison at this point. Okay? He's writing from a prison, being persecuted. And he says, and I still count it as a loss. 20 years following you, 20 or more years. It's about this time, it was about 20 or more years. He says, I still count you more worthy than everything. See, along the way in our journey, we pick up idols. We pick up things, and we don't know. Idols are anything that takes the place of God in our heart. Yeah. And Paul is saying, even those things, I count them as loss. As we go through this journey, if God takes second place to anything, that thing is an idol in your heart. Mm -hmm. And though they may, may be good things, they're not God. And he's the only one that should sit and reign supremely in our hearts. God can take second place in our service. God can take second place in our ministry. God can take second place in our family, in our homes, in our job, to our jobs. And we start to delight in lesser things. When I was preparing this message, I had to come before the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry that I've been taking delight in lesser things because anything that is not you is lesser. It fails in comparison. Christ is his treasure, and he's more excellent, more beautiful than anything and any person here on earth. We can love our husbands, and it's a great thing, and our children. But if we love them more than Jesus, it's a lesser thing. Yeah. It fails to compare to Jesus. Yes, we enjoy our homes, and I love to decorate my home. And yes, we're thankful for our jobs. But when we love those things, and and they're the priority of our lives, yeah. and they've taken the place of Jesus, yeah. they're a lesser thing. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my question to you this morning. Have you found delight in lesser things? Mm -hmm. There's a song by United Pursuit that says, from the head to the heart, take me on a journey of letting go and getting lost in you when I give you what I can't keep. To take a hold of you. Mm. You see, all these things that dazzle, all these things that are glitter, they're, they're, like, they're like sinking sand. They're like, you can't grasp them. They're like wind in our hands. But Jesus, Jesus, he's everything. And he's the great treasure. Paul says all these good things, they're good things. But in comparison to Christ, I count them as rubbish. That word rubbish means dung. Dog poop. Caca. Says if Paul says, if you don't have any of if you have everything and you don't have Christ, who cares? Yeah. If you keep the rules, but you don't have Christ, who cares? It's worthless. Who cares if I pursue external transformation without internal transformation? It's worthless. He wanted to know him personally, passionately, powerfully, and he understood it came with a price. 
The journey of knowing Christ more and more intimately is the letting go of the lesser things and finding great delight in Him. The more we see the value of the risen Christ, the more the grip of those things loosen. Mm. So it's, he wanted the pursuit, right? He wanted to know him powerfully. He wanted to know him intimately, right, personally. He wanted to know him passionately. And then he says, but there's a progression and a process. I'm going to end with Philippians 3, 12 through 15. He says, not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own sisters. I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. See, the point is in perfection. Paul said, I haven't already attained this. Yeah. I'm not already perfect, but I press on. Yes. And because Christ has made me his own, because I belong to him, I press on. Because I'm his child, I press on. Mm -hmm. One thing that keeps us away from God is that we are acutely aware of our shortcomings. Mm -hmm. We are aware that we fall short and we fail him time and time again. We begin to believe the lie that God loves the person I'm going to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. Jesus loved the woman, the me, 10 years from now. Mm. <coughs> when I'm healed and all my junk is gone and it's taken care of, mm. the woman Jesus loves is already faithful and perfect. Mm. It's, it's me, this inconsistent me that he doesn't love yet. But he, he loves the me that, that prays and is generous and loves my sister and doesn't hold grudges. That's the meat God loves. And you know what's wrong with that? The Bible. <laughs> Christ said this. It was at your worst. Yeah. It was at your worst that I loved you. Come on. It was at the worst that I died for you. Yes. It was at your worst. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You're never going to arrive. God Love the me sitting in a pew 20 years ago like he loves the me standing up here preaching yeah. to you. Amen. Yeah. So good. He loves the me that was jacked up. Mm -hmm. And his love for me doesn't change and fluctuate. Amen. Listen, the person who keeps all the rules and has external experiences and she's got it all together. She's looking down at her sister. She doesn't understand the gospel. Right. Yeah. But the sister who keeps failing and messing up and runs away from God instead of to him, she doesn't understand the gospel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, That's because fun. the gospel is that I did it all. Mm -hmm. You don't got to do anything else. Mm -hmm. You just need to put your line in the sand and keep following Yeah, yes. keep going, keep going, keep going. Yes. I'm perfect. Yes. I'm good. I'm the one that changes Yes. Jesus. yes. It's a progression. It's a process of yeah. following Jesus. And the goal is intimacy. Amen. Yes. Christ died for us at our worst. <coughs> but while the work of Christ for us is perfect, and we don't need to add anything, the work of the Spirit in us is not finished. It's continually carried on day to day, and will need to be continued throughout the whole of our lives. We are being conformed to the image of Christ, and that process is an operation 
until we advance to glory. Mm -hmm. That was Charles Spurgeon. I can't take credit. <laughs> it's a process and a progression. The journey is a position. When you die, Christ sees you as perfect, and then it's a procession as you follow me, and you let me take those idols out of your hands. Yes. And I rip away the things that you love, and I become more dear to you. You become more like me. That's and we're going to do this journey forever until you meet me face to face, and you're perfected. That's the gospel. Yes. Thank you, Lord. He did it all. But he says this. Paul says this. This one thing I do. I'm not there yet. I haven't made it my own. But this one thing I do, and ladies, you need to do it too one day or another. Amen. I forget what's behind, and I stray forward to what lies ahead. This one thing I do, I press on. Yes. At this moment, Paul is saying, I put my line in the mm -hmm. I put my boundary line and I'm not going back because I got nothing to go back to. Mm. Everything in comparison to Jesus is rubbish. Mm. It's caca. Mm. <laughs> I'm not going back. Why? Because I found the greatest treasure my heart could ever find. That's right. Everything I've ever searched for. See, my empty cup was filled. I'm not going back, people. That's right. I know that the other things keep me empty. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Worthless. The past. And all its shame, it's worthless. Hmm. I put my line in the sand because I belong to Jesus. We need that moment when we mark our line in the sand. We need that moment when we settle things once and for all with Jesus. My prayer is today is that day for you. Yeah. 4, 17, 16 marks the day that I said, God, I'm never going.